sometimes maybe you have run into your mind like, Lord, I already know that. I already know who you are. I already know what you've done. I already know of the life and the forgiveness. So why do I have to be here? And by the way, did you catch from that reading of Nehemiah how long their worship service went? From daybreak until noon. If I hear you complain that we go to 1125, (laughs) wait till next week. No. But isn't that an interesting thing? Hungry for the word of God. Anybody have problems getting out of bed this morning to be here? You know, I I woke up at 5 a.m. and it's raining outside and it's warm under the covers and I'm like, really? (laughs) There's that old joke about, you know, the husband who's in bed and is like, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to go to the church. And finally the wife says, but you're the pastor. (laughs) Uh, Don't worry, that's not what I heard. (laughs) But there is a little truth of that, isn't there? At times, you and I, we battle uh, to get out of bed, uh, to get out of the house, to get out of there and to come here, into the house of the Lord, into his presence to worship him and to hear from him. You know, we, we, we have all kinds of things that start running through our minds. Things like, you know, do I have to? What difference does it make anyway? It's the same thing week after week. Well, I hope that his word is new to you every morning, as is his mercy. I pray that, you know, the message is, you know, maybe it has certainly elements you hope are there every time to deal with our brokenness, our sin, but likewise to deal with God's grace and his forgiveness in the gospel for us. The truth is, you and I are continually in this battle with our old sinful self of, you know, whether or not we're going to come and worship him, the one who is our Savior and our Lord. And by the way, it's very easy to, you know, let all kinds of things, important things in life, to get in the way and to begin to lead us to spending less time with Jesus rather than more. We're not alone in this battle. It's very real. But our sinful nature, you know, understands exactly what it needs and what's bad for us. And so our sinful nature continually throws at us ideas, beliefs, philosophies, or the arguments even of others of why we really shouldn't be here. My friends, don't listen to your sinful nature. But the truth is, you and I, we are always up against ourselves when it comes to truly worshiping. Worship, it's not natural for us, not because of our, because of our sinful nature, but it was natural for Jesus Listen to, again, part of our reading today from our gospel. It goes like this. He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. 
How about that? The scripture is his word. Yet as a child, he studied it, he learned it, he regularly went and he worshipped in the Lord's house, in the tabernacle, and now as an adult, he's still faithfully going to the services of worship. His custom, his habit, was to love the Word. Now wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be something if that was the motivation that brought each and every one of us and all of his children into his house, and that would be a love of the Word, not obligation, not a have-to, not you know because it's tradition, not because it's my custom, not because it's just become a habit, but instead out of love and a yearning for his word and to gather in his presence. Look at Jesus. This is how he lived. It was his life. He was a man who not only lived by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He's living, he's experiencing what he read, what we read from Psalm 1, which tells us again, blessed is he whose delight is in the law, the teachings of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. It was normal for Jesus to go to the house of the Lord and to worship, to hold God's word as sacred, to gladly hear and to learn it. But this service that we read about today, it was different. It was unlike any other it wasn't just another worship service. Imagine, this time Jesus didn't come to Nazareth because he was supposed to. He had done that. He had been an obedient son. He had regularly gone, and he had sat there at the feet of the rabbis, and he had learned. This day, he came as a teacher. He came as a rabbi. He came as a guest preacher in his hometown congregation. And he stood up, the text said, to read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and to give sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Truth is, the people of Nazareth had never seen this side of Jesus before. This is something completely different. They'd never heard him like this. So whether they came that day out of habit or obligation or even out of a love for God's word, they got more than they expected. This wasn't just a, another service, going through the motions and then let's go home. He rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all were fixed on him. Picture that. The eyes of all were fixed on him. Wouldn't that be great if that were true here? 
No distractions. No dozing off because you stayed up too late watching that movie or whatever it was you were doing late last night. No daydreaming, thinking about next Sunday's Super Bowl or whatever it is that has, happens to captivate your attention. No glancing at your phone, wondering what time it is or do I need to make reservations for brunch or... How amazing it would be if all eyes were fixed on Jesus. Jesus came, and all the eyes were fixed on him. And then came the sermon. This was no great theological exposition. This wasn't like 10 ways to a better you. This wasn't a sermon dealing with, you know, sociological issues. This wasn't about, you know, the, the vices of this world. It wasn't about, you know, some political agenda. No. Jesus said. He spoke the word, and in a simple and profound way, he applied it to the people who were there today. This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What Isaiah wrote, Jesus says, is about me. It's as, as if the words of the prophet are, are leaping to life off the pages of the scroll. It's like one of those movies where they're reading a book and suddenly in the midst of that, all those characters come to life. This is no fairy tale. This is no story. This is a real scroll, a real Jesus, real words from his mouth to real ears of his hearers. Remember who Jesus is? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is Jesus. The Word in human flesh, the Word living and active, present in this place for you and for me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon him. He's the Anointed One, the Christ. That's why he went to the synagogue that day. That they couldn't believe their ears, though, when they heard him. The text said, all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. My friend, that's why he still faithfully comes to church, to this place, every time we gather and worship. To deliver the good news of salvation to us poor and needy, to proclaim freedom to you and me and all who are in debt with sin, to save sight to give sight to all who walk in darkness, to set free we who are in bondage. And it happens in your hearing. It happens right here every time we gather and his word is present. In your hearing. 
That's how Jesus makes himself and his forgiveness known to us. It's like Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. And so again, today, this is not like any other service. For in your hearing, this scripture is fulfilled again. Jesus comes with the Lord's favor to us. Here. Now. And that's the point of every Sunday. The flesh and blood, Jesus, true God and true man, steps into our worship. He loves to be here, to fulfill God's word again and again, to be the word for poor, lost sinners like you and me. And so Sunday worship isn't about you and me, what we offer back to him, how we pray to him, how we praise him, but it's about him and what he is doing here. For he meets us here. He is here for the depressed and the despairing. He is here for sinner and those who are sinned against. He is here for all who are oppressed and suffering. Jesus is the answer to our prayers. And yet you do realize that not all who hear believe, right? Matter of fact, that's part of what was happening in Jesus' own hometown. What do they want with Jesus? Well, apparently not the good news that he's bringing them. Apparently not what he's proclaiming. Apparently not the freedom that he's offering. They want him dead. And so they drag him off up to a hill to push him off the cliff. The anointed one, they want to see crushed for them, bruised and wounded, stricken, smitten, and afflicted. But that day, that hill was not Calvary, but it was close. Indeed, Jesus came to be that word also for the despised. He came to be the one who was rejected and the crucified word. He came to suffer for our sins, for the way that we have grumbled about going to worship, about hearing his word, about a service being too long, about, you know, I don't have time for daily devotions and prayer and, and being with you that way, Lord. Or letting it, you know, just be interfered with by other priorities and supposed important things. He still comes. He comes and he extends the Lord's favor to us again. But he doesn't have to do this. But he does. He doesn't need what we give him. Our sins, our prayers, our praise, our offerings. Nope. But he still comes. Week after week. Worship service after worship service. He's here showing mercy and love to all. The joy. The joy of life in the church, as the church. My friends, well, 
it's never just another service. Because every week, Jesus is here as the rabbi, the teacher, who speaks to us, who takes God's word, who explains it and applies it to our lives, who comes to us again with mercies new every morning, who loves us, embraces us, forgives us, and gives us life everlasting. Every time we come here, that should be why we should wish to be here. That's why we should sound like the psalmist when we say, it was good when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Or how about the the psalmist in Psalm 84 who says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord. My soul longs, even faints for the courts of the Lord. Or as I said in our opening prayer from the book of Exodus, how he promised with that tabernacle as they made their way through the desert land on the way to the promised land, he said, I will meet you there. And I will speak to you there. Every time we gather here, his word is fulfilled. You know, I haven't had anybody say this to me, but wouldn't this be awesome? Pastor, you mean we're only going to have one worship service this week? Did you get that? It's not about you being here with me. It's about us being here with him. It's about he is that faithful God who does exactly what he promises, and he meets us here. And he loves us here. And he feeds us here. And he sends us forth, forgiven and empowered to live for him. You know, I think he'd want us to meet more regularly, but at least weekly, because he always wants more for us. That's just the way Jesus is. Always in church, always here in his word, always that crucified and risen Lord for you, always with more forgiveness to give. Yes, today. And every time we come to worship, this is not just another service. For in your hearing, the scripture is fulfilled again. 